Turn it loose and let's just sing tonight. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and Let's turn around, shake hands, and fellowship one with another. third now. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toll he does richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and Fellowship sweep, we will. 
Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless all the things going on. We'll remember Awana. If I'm not mistaken, tonight is their final night. Is that right? Tonight's their final night uh, for the spring. And they have had tremendous, a tremendous year over there. They've just had kids running out their ears over there. It's been up right at 200 uh, on Wednesday night just in Awana. So that's great. We praise the Lord for that. And the teenagers and, of course, our midweek service in here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. And thank you, Lord, we can trust you and obey you. And we know, Lord, that all things are in your hands. Therefore, we know that all things are well. Open our hearts to all you have for us tonight in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue. You're going to have to work on this and get your songbook, page 322. I just keep trusting my Lord, 322. I just keep trusting my Lord as I walk along. I just keep trusting my Lord and He gives us some. Though the storm clouds darken the sky or the heavenly trail, I just keep trusting my Lord. He will never darken the sky or the heavenly trail I just keep trusting my Lord he will never fail I just keep trusting my Lord on the narrow way I just keep trusting my Lord as he leads each day sad and blue I just keep trusting my Lord he will see me through he's a faithful God such a faithful God he is always there walking by my side though the road is sad and blue I just keep trusting my Lord he will see me through 
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, let's go ahead and get our offering received. They're anxious to get in our Bible study tonight, so we'll go ahead and get our offering in here. Uh, let me remind you, Sunday now is the chest of Joash Sunday, and we're looking forward to a good day. Trusting the Lord for a special, special uh, day of giving on the Lord's Day. So I hope you've been praying about it and praying about a special gift. What we do on this particular Sunday is receive a special gift, ask you to pray about giving a special gift. It all goes toward our building projects based around a story we'll look at in the Bible on Sunday morning. But I hope that you'll be praying and everyone praying that God will provide for us greatly. And then mark your calendars. I said Sunday night uh, coming up in uh, June. We're going to have a special meeting. Brother Tim Lee. Tim's been a number of years since he's been with us in the meeting. Uh, he was with us a Sunday night a few months ago. But always a blessing to have Tim Lee with us. I don't think I've had ever, we've ever had anybody he, here that people refer to as much as Tim Lee. And they maybe didn't remember his name, but they remember the fellow in the wheelchair and everything's like that. So... I'm looking forward to having Brother Tim back. So I want you to start praying about that, marking your calendar, helping us get the word out, letting other people know about it, and just trusting the Lord for a very special time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray for all things coming up, asking you to bless them. Pray for Sunday, Lord, that we'll have a great day. You know our needs and you know the motives behind everything we're doing. So we just put it up, give it to you. And it's your work, and we know you'll provide. And we pray, Lord, that Sunday will just be a day that will amaze the people of God and glorify the name of the Lord. Bless the upcoming meeting in a few weeks. I pray you'll bless the special services and use them in our heart and our life and in this church. Bless the offering tonight toward the Bible conference. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus tells us, I give you peace, not as the world giveth, give unto you. I'm so glad that Jesus gives us his peace, not the peace that the world can offer, which is not a real peace at all. But he says that he will give us the peace that passeth all understanding. What blessed peace we can have tonight in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us sweet peace.
the storms are raging around me and the clouds seem black as the night then I feel his presence surround me and I know everything is all right he gives me sweet peace when I'm down in the valley beside still water
I praise the Lord for His peace, don't you? Take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus 25. Let's continue our study tonight. We're going to look at the golden candlestick. And you have a little bulletin there that has a picture on it there and, and some places for you to fill in the blanks and so you can remember a little bit better our study. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Verse 31 of Exodus 25 and we'll read down through verse 40. Exodus 25 Verses 31 through 40. The golden candlestick. Verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it three branches of the candlestick out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knob and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knobs and their flowers. And there shall be a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under, knob under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knobs and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's look at these verses tonight. And think about the golden candlestick as we continue studying the tabernacle. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the peace of God that passeth all understanding. We thank you, Lord, there is a peace that this world knows nothing about, but a peace that can be enjoyed by every child of God. We thank you for the peace that is given to us through Jesus Christ. In fact, Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the source of all that we need in our life as a believer. Now, I hope it's nice we studied the Word of God I pray you help us to comprehend the truth of God that is represented in all things we'll see. For it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. So far in our study on Wednesday nights as we have looked at the tabernacle, we have considered the outer court and its entrance or the gate of the outer court. We looked at the brazen altar which would have been the first thing that you would have saw once you came through the single gate of the outer court. Just past the brazen altar would have been the brazen laver. The altar, of course, was the place where all the sacrifices were offered. The laver was, where the, pla was the place where the priests would wash themselves and cleanse themselves before entering into the tabernacle itself. We looked at the curtains and the coverings of the tabernacle, the curtains being the first two layers stretched over the top of the tabernacle, and the coverings being the two, lavers, two layers that went over the curtains, and then we looked at the hangings, as they are called, of the tabernacle, which the hangings is actually is the door to the tabernacle itself. And then there was a divider, which was called a veil. 
that we looked at, these two hangings within the tabernacle. Now tonight we want to begin to look at the, at the items that are found within the tabernacle. And most, most commonly they are called the furniture of the tabernacle. But we want to begin looking at those tonight. As we come into the first room of the tabernacle itself, which is called the holy place, we'll find that there were three items in the holy place. If you look to your left, there was a golden candlestick. And if you look to the right, there was a table of showbread. Then directly in front of you, next to the veil, was the, uh, the altar of incense. There were three items in the holy place. If you went behind the veil, you would find two items in there. There was the mercy seat and there was the Ark of the Covenant. All of these we're going to look at. But tonight I want us to look at the golden candlestick. And I want to point out to you a few things about the golden candlestick. I think, so we maybe have the picture up here. Got candy, there you go. And that's similar to the picture that you have on your bulletin. And when we talk about the candlestick, a lot of times we think about candles. Just the fact that it's called a candlestick makes us think of candles. But I want you to understand that the candlestick was not a candelabra. It was really a lamp. When we talk about the golden candlestick, we're talking about a lamp. It was an oil lamp. And so what you had was oil that was burning wicks in that oil rather than candles burning. As it said, if you walked on the inside, once you entered into the holy place, if you looked directly to your left, you would have saw, would have seen, I should say, the golden candlestick. That would have been on the left, the south side of the tabernacle. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly what it looked like. No, nobody knows where the candlestick is, and so we have no idea what it looked like, but the picture that's on the screen and the one inside your bulletin is an artist's rendering of what he thinks uh, the candlestick would have looked like. So it kind of gives you an idea, a general idea of what it would have looked like. But again, remember it was a lamp, not a candelabra. Let me just point out these three things about the golden candlestick. First of all, I want to just say a word about the description of the golden candlestick. Look at Exodus 25 and notice verse 31. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. Now when you look at verse 31 of Exodus 25, what you have is a brief description of the golden candlestick. Verse 31 is a brief description of the golden candlestick. It just kind of states, now this is what you're to make. And as we'll see in verse 32, he begins to go on and give it a little bit more detail. But you have a brief description in verse 31. And when you look at verse 31, you see these features about the candlestick that are mentioned. For one thing, it was made of pure gold. Now, when the Bible speaks about it being made of pure gold, it is talking about gold that has gone through the purifying process and all the impurities have been removed from that gold. So this is pure gold. You'll also notice in verse 31 that not only was it made of pure gold, but it also was made of beaten work. Verse 31 describes how that of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. When he speaks about the candlestick being made of beaten work, it is simply stating that it was not cast in a mold. Now when you look at that uh, candle, look at that lampstand or that lamp or that candlestick that's in that picture there, I want you to realize that this was not made in a mold. 
but it was shaped as a result of a craftsman's hammer. And you look at that particular item there, a beautiful thing you can begin to imagine as we go through and look at the details of it, you begin to get a picture in your mind that it was a very exquisite piece. But it was not cast in a mold, but it was hammered out. It was hammered out of gold. Look at the end of the statement, verse 31, for a moment. Just skip down to last, look at the latter part of verse 31 and verse 36. You find the statement that it shall be of the same. End of verse 31, verse 36 said, It shall be one beaten work of pure gold. Now what he's stating there is that this whole thing was made out of one solid piece of gold. Now understand this that it was not an item in which each piece was made separately and then assembled together. It's not that the uh, lamp was made and then the branch was made and, and all these little details were made and then it was all assembled together forming the candlestick. No, when it says it was all of the same, it means that the whole thing was beaten out of one solid piece of gold. So when you look at that picture there, you've got to realize now uh, how much skill would have been required to have beaten that item out of a piece of gold. Not just work a piece and then add it to it. No, the whole thing was shaped out of a piece of gold. The candlestick was a workmanship of the highest skill. In fact, as you study the Bible, and won't take time to look all the references up, the craftsman who crafted all the things within the holy place and in the most holy place were chosen by God. And their ability to make these things was ability that was given to them by God. You see, when you look at that uh, candlestick there, that goes beyond natural ability. To take a hammer and to form and fashion that out of a piece of gold, that would take a very skillful craftsman to do that. Not just pieces, but to form that one thing as not a break in it whatsoever. And it goes beyond natural ability. It was divine ability. God gave them, the Bible said, the ability to create the things that are found in the tabernacle. Skip down to verse 39 for just a moment. You find in verse 39 that it indicates that a talent of gold was used to make the candlestick. We said it came out of one solid piece of gold. Verse 39 tells us that a talent of pure gold shall he make it. Now a talent is a measurement in the Bible that would equal 125 pounds in our measurement. The amount of gold is 125 pounds of gold in this one piece of furniture, 125 pounds of gold. And uh, you find that uh, the gold that was used in, when you look at the other items, this becomes the most expensive piece in all the tabernacle. All the other items, they overlay with gold and different things, but here is a candlestick that weighs 125 pounds. Well, at today's prices, this is a candlestick that would cost you somewhere around $600,000 to make. So you begin to get an idea how exquisite this piece is and the skill and the value of the matter. A talent of gold, 125 pound candlestick. Now, we, you don't have any measurements given in the Bible concerning the candlesticks. We really don't know how, what it really looked like, we have an idea what it looked like. We really don't know how high it was. We don't know how wide it was. It is commonly believed that it was about three foot high and it was about two feet wide. But in our mind, we're imagining a $600,000 candlestick. Look at back in verse 31. 
He talks about how, we're to, how it was made of beaten work, a God-given ability to shape the matter out of one solid piece of gold. And then in verse 31, he continues by just saying a few things about the design of the tabernacle. He talks about a shaft in verse 31. He talks about the candlestick shall be made his shaft. When he talks about the shaft, it is really talking about the stem of the candlestick. He not only talks about the shaft, but he also talks about the other items there. There are the branches, the bowls, the knobs, and the flowers. Now, all of these we're going to look at in just a moment, give you an idea of what they're talking about. But in verse 31, you're given a brief description of the golden candlestick. Here is a 125-pound candlestick made out of pure gold. It's a center stem, and all of these branches and bowls and knobs and flowers are on it. So in verse 31, you have a brief description of the golden candlestick. But second of all, beginning in verse 32, you have the details of the golden candlestick. Verse 31 gives you a brief description. Beginning in verse 32, we are given a detailed description of the golden candlestick. Verse 31 just kind of sums it all up. So now this is what we're going to make. Verse 32, he begins to give the details of the golden candlestick. Let's look at these details. Look in verse 32. He said, And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Now in verse 32, as we begin to look at the details of it, he mentioned the branches in verse 31. Now verse 32 tells us there are six branches in all. And there are three branches on each side. You see your picture there. You see the shaft going up the center and three branches going out on each side, a total of six branches. Verse 32 gives you that detail. Verse 33, we find the decorative work on each branch. He describes in verse 33, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knob and a flower so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. You find in verse 33 that he gives again details about the decorative work that you find on each one of the branches. Three branches going out of each side, six branches in all. And on each one of the branch, he describes how there are three bowls on each branch. He talks about the bowls. And when he talks about a bowl, he's not talking about a bowl like we would eat soup out of or a bowl like we'd uh, eat our Captain Crunch out of. No, when he talks about a bowl, the word literally describes a cup. But the word bowl here, and when he talks about it, it's a bowl, it would be something like just a lip, we might say. And it had the appearance, and it was shaped as an almond. Or it was an almond-shaped cup, an almond-shaped portion on it. Every one of the branches had three of these little almond-shaped cups that came off the branches. Not only did you have three bowls on each branch, but you had three knobs on each branch. Now, when we think of a knob, we think of something that you would turn. Maybe your mind's thinking, well, there's a knob there that you turn the wick up on or whatsoever. No, he's talking about a knob here. He's talking about that which has been shaped in a certain way. Not a button or a something we twist or turn, but most believe that the knob that he's talking about here was a portion of the candlestick that was in the shape of the form of a pomegranate which would be a circular-shaped fruit. 
So he's talking about a knob, not something you twist or turn, but a certain shape that you found on each one of the branches. So each branch goes out in the picture there, and you kind of get an idea of some of the decorative work on there. On every one of the branches, there were at least three of these little cups or these bowls, and on each one of the branches, there were three of these knobs or three parts on each one of the branches that had a circular shape like the pomegranate. And also on the branch were not only three bowls and three knobs, but there were three flowers on each branch. Now, most believe that these flowers were lilies. So what you imagine now is each branch going out, three on each side, and on each one of those branches were three bowls or three little cup-shaped type things, look like an almond, and there were three knobs there shaped in the round of, uh, like a, a pomegranate, and then there were this beautiful lily work in between all of this. So that's what you have here. Each one of the branches had nine ornaments in all. So basically, the whole stem of a branch was ornamental work. So you had this shaft, and we'll point some things out about the shaft, but each one of these branches is not just a slick arm or straight arm that went up. It was just exquisite work done all the way from the base all the way to the top. Three bowls, three knobs, three flowers, just one long, continual decorative piece. Verse 34 and 35, it not only talks about the decorative branches, but it begins to talk about the decorative work on the shaft or the stem of the candlestick. Verse 34, And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds, and with their knobs and their flowers. And there shall be a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Just like these uh, branches of the golden candlestick, the shaft or the stem, the center part there, you'll find that there was this decorative work on it. The difference was on the shaft you had four bowls or four of these little cups, almond-shaped uh, cups on the shaft. And you'll find that it mentions the knob under the two branches. You see in your picture there, all the branches came together and met at the same place on the shaft just below where each one of those, where a branch, two branches would meet together in the shaft, below that was a circular design in the shaft, like the knob or the pomegranate. And there were three of them, one under each, two shafts or branches that came together. And the flowers, it is assumed that the flowers were much the same way. So the two branches came together on the shaft, and part of the decorative work of the shaft was this circular feature like a pomegranate with a beautiful lily work in between, and it worked its way all the way down. Verse 36, you'll find again, it reminds us how that every part was fashioned from one piece of gold. Their knobs and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. Again, it was not that each branch was worked out and then attached to the shaft. It's not that each leaf or the lily work was formed in shape and then attached to the shaft. No, it's one piece of gold. It's just like taking a piece of gold and cutting this beautiful uh, piece of furniture out of the matter there. Verse 36 reminds us that. Verse 37 tells us that at the top of each branch and shaft, was a lamp. Verse 37, Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. So you see in your picture right on the top, you have those little lamps, and at the top of all the six branches was the lamp. At the top of the shaft, in the very center, was a lamp. 
a total of seven lamps in all. These were the lamps in which the oil was stored. The wicks were set in the oil, and this is where the light was given. So instead of a candle, it was a lamp. And on top of each one of the branches and the shaft was a lamp. Seven in all. Verse 38, it tells us that there were two utensils that were used in the service of the lampstand or the candlestick. Verse 38 said, In the tongues thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Now he mentions the two utensils. He talks about the tongues in verse 38. And the tongues, the word tongue that is used there is a word that is descriptive of tweezers. What the tongues were used for was to trim the wicks, to clip off the charred and the used portion of the wick. As it would burn, there would be that little burn part. They just reach up with the tongues and clip that off. That's what they would do. The snuff dishes, they were really just bowls in which they put the trimmed off wick into. You see, when that priest walked in the holy place, he just didn't reach up and just trim off the burnt, twi uh, 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 burnt wick there and let it fall to the ground. No, no, you didn't do that at all. Anything in the tabernacle there, everything was approached carefully. Everything was dealt with carefully. Just like the ashes. You just didn't shovel them out and then go out and dump them outside the door. No, they were carefully removed in a prescribed order and they were taken out in a prescribed order and they were buried in a prescribed order. And the same thing about these wicks. As they would burn down, they would trim the tops off, put them in these little bowls or little stuff dishes and just didn't let them fall to the ground. Uh, this was the holy place. This was right next to where God dwelt. And so they would carefully dispose of them and carefully take care of them just like everything else in the tabernacle. That's what the tongues and the snuff dishes were for. Verse 39 and verse 40 once again reminds us that it was made of gold and was fashioned according to the pattern given to Moses. Of a talent, 125 pounds of pure gold, shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. This was not Moses. When Moses one day sat down and thought, boy, this would make a pretty piece. Now, this is what God told him to make. And every little detail about it was according to the pattern that God had given him. Now, that gives you a little of the details of the golden candlestick. As we have noticed, as we've made our way through the tabernacle, everything about the tabernacle, in one way or the other, spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the golden candlestick is no different. Let me just point out a few features about it. You can jot these down somewhere on your bulletin there. But you take, begin with the shaft. The shaft of the golden candlestick is symbolic of Christ. And the branches that come off that shaft are symbolic of the believers that are in Christ. And again, it reminds you they were all one piece. It's not just things that are added to it, but they are really one piece. But the shaft represents Christ. The branches represent the believer. Just like Eve came from the side of Adam, they were one. Man, one man. They were one, made of the same. And just like Adam or Eve was brought from the side of Adam, so the church has come from Jesus Christ. And we in Christ are one. We are one with Christ. And we are one in Christ. 
Ephesians 5.30 said that we are members of his body and of his flesh and his bones. It's much more than just that we are united to Christ. We are one in Christ. I am one with him and I am one in him. Now I remind you the candlestick was produced through beaten work. And I remind you tonight that our oneness with Christ and our oneness in Christ is a result of him being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. What we have in Christ and who we are in Jesus Christ is because of the cross. You can't divorce the cross from anything that you have. That's why the cross should always be central in all that we do and believe. Amen? Because you can't separate or divorce anything we've got apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are one in him. And we are one with Him because of His work and death on the cross. Well, the decorative work on the candlestick was symbolic of Christ. Flowers, the lilies. is the lily of the valley. Lilies is often a symbol of purity. And when you look at the lily work on these branches and on the shaft, it is reminding us of His life of purity. That Christ was the sinless ones, the knobs which were shaped like pomegranates. Pomegranate is an emblem of fruitfulness. You not only have symbolized here his life of purity, but his life of productiveness. And then the bowls, which were almond-shaped. Almond is symbolic of life, of resurrection. Like Aaron's rod that budded. His rod was an almond rod. It budded. Life, that which was dead, came back to life again. And it's symbolic of Christ, his life of power. His life of purity and his life of productiveness and his life of power. There's something interesting about the numbers. And I've never really been one to spend a lot of time in numbers and studying numerology and whatever. Preachers with me last night rode with me to the meeting I was in. He was asking me a lot about numerology. I never spent a lot of time with it, but numbers basically have meaning in the Bible. You find numbers and certain, there's certain reason why there's seven this and three that and four that and five this and ten this and whatever. Numbers always have meanings in the Bible. And I think it's the same thing true in this particular matter here. You find that these ornaments appeared three times on the branches and they appeared four times on the shaft. Now the three times on the branches, the branches of course representing the believer, would be symbolic of our completeness in Christ. That in Christ we have our purity. That in Christ we have our productivity. That in Christ we have our power. I believe 1 Corinthians 1.31, I believe it is, that in Him we have redemption, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification, wisdom, and so on. In other words, what I'm saying tonight is this, that in Christ I am complete, but in Christ I find my purity. You say, well, it's so hard to live for God. If you're trying to live for God, it certainly is. But the secret to living for God is living the life of Christ and being let His life be His, your purity. Letting Him be the source of your ability to say no to sin and say yes to the will of God. He is our source of purity. He is the key to our productiveness. You see, serving God and bearing fruit is not of our doing. It's His very life in us that makes us productive for God. Amen? And our power is not our ability. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, the Bible said. It is the very life of Christ 
And we find the three on there, and three would be a number of completeness, and how that we are complete in Christ. But you find that on the uh, shaft itself, it's found four times, which would mark Christ off as distinctive from us. We are one in Him, but yet He is distinctive from us. He is God. We are His. We are one in Christ. But yet, Christ is the source of our purity, and He is the source of our productiveness, and He is the source of our power. See, everything about living from God, for God, you say, listen, it, what, what, tonight, it's not your skill, and it's not your talents, and it's not your degrees on the wall, and it's not all you, what you can do, and all of this there. I'm going to tell you the key to being what you should be for God. It's your relationship to Christ and your union in Christ and Christ being your power and Christ being your productivity and Christ being your purity. Amen and power. And so we, that's where we get our purity. That's where we become fruitful. That's where our power comes from. Well, you go on the central line of the candlestick, the, very, the lamp right on the very top of the shaft, which symbolizes, of course, that Jesus is the light he is the light of the world. John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have light of life. Christ is the light of the world. But not only do you have a lamp on each on the shaft, but you got a lamp on each one of the branches. The shaft symbolic of Christ. The branches and their oneness in Christ but each one of the branches representing the believer, they had a lamp. You see, Christ is the light of the world, but at the same time, we as a believer are to be reflective of His light in this world. Matthew 5, 14 said, You're the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. But now it says that ye are the light of the world. Does it mean that I'm the light or is He the light? What is our light? And the answer is that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what our light is in this world? It's our good works. You know what our light is? It's what people see in our life. You say, well, it doesn't make any difference how you live. Oh, yes, it does. Not everything is right, not everything is wrong, but it does make a difference how you live because you are a reflector of the life of Christ. And we are to be a light in this world that the world may see our lives and see something unique about our life, and thereby glorify our Father which is in heaven. So you are a light, and you're to be a light. You're to be a light over in the office. You're to be a light over in the high school. You're to be a light over in the college. You're to be a light over in the factory. You're to shine. You're a Christian. You are united with Christ and one in Him, and you are to be a light wherever you may go. I jot this reference down, Exodus 27, verse 20. In fact, you might turn there, Exodus 27, verse 20, just one page over there. The Bible tells us that these lamps were fed with golden oil. Thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. Exodus 27 and verse 20 there. The lamps were fed with golden oil. The golden oil was pure, the pure all of olives. As you know, all is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And it reminds us that our light in this world, our light in this world is totally and utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And we are totally and utterly dependent on Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit for our purity, 
for our productiveness and for our power. The Bible only talks about in Galatians 5 how to walk in the Spirit. It talks about there's a warfare raging in the life of every believer. There's a part of us. There is the flesh that wants dominance in our life. There's the Spirit that wants dominance in our life. And it tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the tense of that statement is there that you absolutely will not fulfill the lust of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. You want to live right, you want to be pure, then you're utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be able to live pure. you got to have it. That's why you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get up every day and you don't begin the day by once again being filled with the Holy Spirit. You are walking in danger every day. You got to be full every day because we are utterly dependent upon Him for our purity that we might be a light in this world. We want to be effective for God. We got to have the Holy Spirit. We got to be full of the Holy Spirit. We got to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. We got to be dominated with the Holy Spirit. We've got to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about hit, well, talking like a duck, like you've been hitting the head of the hammer. I'm talking about being full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And you've got to have it. If we're going to be effective, we've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. And if we're going to have power, we've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's just a few things I point out. But let me give you a third and the final thing. Are you still with me now? Say amen. Now I only have the description of it, verse 31, beginning in verse 32, the details of it. But let me just say a couple of things about the display of the golden candlestick. Not found in our text, but you go on and look up other references about it. Once the tabernacle was completed and the candlestick was displayed, you find there was a couple of features. There were several things, but I point out a couple of them. For example, the priest were the ones, they were the ones that went into the holy place. The priests could go in there, and they went in there every day. But the priests were the ones that were responsible for cleaning the candlestick. They were responsible for replenishing the candlestick, that is, keeping the oil in the lamps, and for lighting the lamps every morning and every evening. Each morning, each evening, these priests would go in there. At the beginning of the day, they'd go in there and clean the lamps, replenish the oil in the lamps and make sure they were burning. In the afternoon, they would go in there and clean them and replenish the oil. And of course, as Exodus 24 verse 2 said, it, for the lamps were to burn always. Leviticus 24 2, they were to burn continually. In other words, the light never went out. The light was never to go out. And of course, it reminds us that Christ is forever the light of the world and that our light is to never go out. Look at Exodus 25 and verse 37. There's an interesting statement made there. Exodus 25, 37, Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light. Now look at this, now look at this. Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof. Now you think about a lamp, you're thinking about providing light for the room. Would you not agree? That's actually what you think of. When you flip on a light switch and you walk in the room, you are turning on so you can see in a dark room. That's what you normally think of. But you notice here that it describes how that the light that was given from the lamps was given to light the lamps. That it may give light over against it. In other words, what he tells us in verse 37 is that the, lamp, the light of the lamps was to draw attention to the lamp. That the reason the lamps burned was so you could see the lamp. 
that the light of the, that was produced by the uh, by the the oil, the lamps here, was so that the lamp would be exposed, so that you could see the glory of the candlestick. Now you think about it for just a moment. Why light the lamp? So when you walked in, your attention was drawn to that beautiful lampstand standing over here to the left. Not over here, but over here to the left on the south side. And someone said, I believe it was a German writer that made this statement. He said, Jesus Christ knew no greater task than to attract men and women to himself. You know what Jesus is in the business of doing? Letting people see how glorious he is. You know what Jesus is doing? You know what the Holy Spirit is doing in this world? You know what the Holy Spirit is doing? He's lifting up Christ, magnifying Christ, and so that Christ is seen and that men see the glory and the attractiveness and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And even to his followers of Christ, uh, we have no greater privilege than to attract people to Jesus Christ. You know, we go out on faith on Thursday nights, and tomorrow, tomorrow night is our 15th uh, session in this particular semester. And I would encourage many of you to pray about being a part of the fall semester that will be starting in August. And some of them are coming to you, inviting you to come and listen. Uh, I would encourage you to do it. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. And uh, I just challenge you to do it. Say, well, what if I don't love it? Then I'll tell you I was wrong, but you'll love it. Come on anyway. And But we go out on faith, and we faith is not only just visiting, but it's a growing part of your life and learning about God, the things of God. But the whole thing you, we do, learning a method to present the gospel and learning why we present the gospel, what it's about, learning how to deal with this person and deal with that person and deal with these problems. You want the whole thing about faith or any kind of visitation program is, we're not just trying to get people to come to church. We're trying to get people to Christ. You see, we want them to see Christ, not Temple Baptist Church. Temple Baptist Church, God forbid, but it's possible it may disappoint you somewhere down the road. We want to get you to Jesus. We want you to see how wonderful He is and how glorious He is. We're in the business of attracting people to Jesus Christ. Then, of course, obviously not only did it light the candlestick itself, but it also provided light in the room, in the first room. And, of course, you walked in over here is this candlestick, over here is a table to show bread, and over here is the altar of incense. It not only drew attention to itself and all of its beauty, but it also gave the light for the minute for the priest to be able to minister within the tabernacle. We'll learn a little bit next week about the uh, table to show bread. But you know, there's one thing about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and the light that Christ gives is that it's light that not only uh, draws us to Jesus Christ, but it's a light that gives light. It enables us to understand other things. The table of showbread and the altar of incense. It gives us light to be able to comprehend other things and light to be able to experience other things and light to be able to know other things. Uh, Jesus Christ is, uh, who wouldn't want to be saved? Can I get an amen there? He's a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Amen. The golden candlestick. There's a few things maybe that'll help you to learn and appreciate it even more. Take your prayer sheet for Wednesday night. 
And of course, as I mentioned, we want to pray and ask God to bless us on Sunday, our special offering. We want to pray that God will just really bless. They began work this week. Of course, the hallway's blocked off now because the walls have been ripped out and, and uh, different things. It's, they're already tearing it down. Looks like a Baptist church back there. Looks like a Baptist church. Looks like a Baptist business meeting. You go back, everything's tore all to pieces. Can I get amen right there? Everything. The ceilings tore out. The walls busted down. Everything looks like an average business meeting. But anyway, they started this week, and, and uh, they're rolling right along. And whole project, everything, everything uh, involved in all that's going to run is about $190,000. And so we'd like to get a good portion of that this coming Sunday. Really pray that God will bless. And continue to pray, pray now that we hear something about the land and the school board. And whenever they meet and vote, that everything will go well. And as I mentioned, a special meeting with Tim Lee coming up. Our missionary of the week is Andy and Diane Ramsey. And of course, out of this church. And serving the Lord in Costa Rica. And so that's somewhere down in Central America. But uh, you want to pray for Andy and Diane tonight. Church of the week is Shiloh Baptist Church in Winston, Georgia. And the pastor, that's his name, Happy Howard. And uh, I was there last night. They have a big tabernacle back up behind the church, Shiloh Baptist Count Meeting, churches down near Douglasville, Georgia, below Atlanta, churches from all over the Atlanta area come together for that uh, count meeting. And uh, I've preached there last night. Brother Tom Hayes is preaching there tonight, others through Friday night. But we want to pray tonight for Shiloh Baptist in particular for the count meeting and pray the Lord will bless and Brother Happy Howard. Our hospital list, we'll remember at Health South, Alex Padgett, and then Memorial. Many of you know that Eva DeBoard fell and uh, broke her hip, broke the other hip. She broke one hip here about two years ago. She broke the other one, and they did a complete new hip replacement yesterday, and want to continue to pray for her. Jesse Morton, uh, she's been moved down to the first floor, I believe, 130, room 130. And want to remember Jesse be praying for her. And then someone was telling me tonight that Francis Sharp, one of our members, is at Parkridge Hospital. So remember Francis. And then a special request for a Helen Walker. And this is a lady at Memorial Hospital and staff there. She lost a baby. And then the day after, I believe it was, that her baby was buried, her father passed away. So you can imagine. Uh, what this has been like for this lady. A special request given to us tonight for Helen Walker. Remember her. And then Brother Bill Perry, special request. We've been praying for Bill some time. Has a lot of heart problems. Want to continue to pray for him. I believe in the power of prayer, don't you? And thank God for it. That's all that we'll come and gather around the altar. Uh, we get over at that altar of incense. We'll learn a little bit about prayers. Our prayers extend up to God. But I want us to come now and just gather around this altar as believers. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the ability to get things from God through prayer. And we want to come tonight. Our prayer has been, Lord, bless us indeed. And enlarge our coast. We want to continue to pray and develop this prayer. But let's pray tonight for these things and pray that the Lord will move in each one. Our missionary of the week and our church of the week. Aaron, you lead us in prayer there, if you would please, for these special things tonight. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. 
Amen. Yes, Lord, let us be a light this world. Yes. 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 Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. Touch them. Yes. 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 Bless the meeting. Touch them. Yes. Yes, Lord. Prove yourself, Sunday. Yes. 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 Yes, Lord, touch us. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. I tell you, the Lord's good to us, isn't he? Amen. I'm excited about all the things doing. I pray for Sunday. Pray the Lord bless. This has been a great spring. Sunday was a great day. Wasn't Sunday a great day? Wasn't it a great day? Over 700 again here Sunday. 715, is that right? 715 here Sunday. And just God just keeps on blessing. And I praise Him for what He's doing. Do you praise Him? Four of you do. Some of you got that Sunday only religion. You praise God tonight for what He's doing. Amen? Amen. He's doing great things. You're dismissed. You sound better now. I'll let you go home now. You're dismissed. <laughs>